Hi, this is C. Travis Webb, and this is my note for last week's podcast on Judith Butler's review of Barry Weiss's book. Um, I have to say right from the get-go, so this is our new notes format. You know, we're, we're sort of reflecting on our conversation last week, um, the things that kind of stuck with us or that we reconsidered or thought more deeply about. Um, I want to say right from the get-go that I was a little self-conscious last week in the conversation uh, talking about the review of a book that I hadn't read. Um, you know, I, I did my best to try and stay with the review uh, but it's a little on the silly side. Uh, I'm speaking for myself, not for Saffir Stephen. Um, you know, maybe don't have to read the book, you know, pour over it slowly, cover to cover, but certainly should have spent some time looking at it at least. So I feel like that's probably a little bit of a disservice to Barry Weiss. And, and so I apologize for that. Um, you know, the thing that I didn't dwell on enough last week in the conversation, I mentioned it, I know I mentioned it, but um, is, uh, you know, when Butler is rehearsing a, an often trafficked criticism of Barry Weiss, which is that when she was an undergrad at Columbia, she led, um, you know, complained about one of the professors and then, you know, um, how critical they were of Israel. Um, and, you know, I gave the anecdote of my wife and et cetera. I wanted to spend a second, though, talking about one of the ways that these critiques get dismissed. And Judith Butler, who is, you know, as storied and as uh, well-pedigreed and famous as they come for an academic, um, you know, if an academic humanist uh, knows who Judith Butler is, if you talk to one. Um, but she is just as prone to every other human as my side bias, or what's called confirmation bias. I'm going to talk a bit, little bit about that in a second, but I wanted to spend a second with what she writes here. Um, she says, Weiss has characterized positions critical of Israel as biased and fraudulent. As a student at Columbia University, she helped lead an effort to bring complaints against Middle Eastern studies professors who held critical views of Israel for allegedly creating a hostile environment for Jews on campus. Parenthetically, after review, the university found the complaints to be almost entirely unfounded. Uh, this parenthetical aside... Uh, carries a whole lot of weight. It implies it dis, it implies and dismisses Weiss's point of view on this as if the university is some impartial arbiter of right and wrong. That's how it's used here. This is how phrases like this are often used in opinion pieces and in journalism. You know, this was reviewed and looked at. It was unfounded. You know, the office of you know, whatever, fill in the blank, fill it over, whatever, bureaucratic, um, internal investigative body examined this and decided that there was nothing to it. Well, the people who staff these institutions' internal investigation departments are institutionalists. So the people, the university found the complaints. The university is made up of a bunch of professors and administrators. And a bunch of professors and administrators looked at a complaint from a student and sided with other professors and administrators against the student. That's, in fact, what happened. 
that absolutely colors the claim in an entirely different light. Now, I don't know anything about the particular, well, I know a little bit, but I don't know, I'm not going to go so far as to to wager an opinion on whether Weiss was correct or not correct, other than I suspect that probably it was an unsympathetic environment, certainly for um, uh, for people who were supportive of Israel. But at the very least, the fact that a university looked at itself and said, we didn't do anything wrong, shouldn't carry weight with anyone. And Butler is engaging in what is just unbelievable, not unbelievable, it's the wrong word, uh, is rampant and is, uh, it's, it's a prevalent mistake, fallacy, error that is perpetuated regularly in newspapers and within institutions, which is the confirmation bias. And confirmation bias, unlike a lot of um, errors of reasoning, is not controlled by intelligence. A lot of logical fallacies, a lot of errors in reasoning do are diminished by increasing IQ. So um, you're less likely to make the error the smarter that you are. However, the my side bias and the confirmation bias is not one of those errors. Intelligent people, geniuses, the smartest of the smart are just as susceptible to confirmation bias as the least intelligent person, the least educated person, whatever. Not that intelligence and education are the same thing. They are definitely not. I don't believe that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that all of us, every single one from grade school to graduate school, from you know scientist to plumber, are just as susceptible to the confirmation bias. And if you are not aware of that, if you are not aware of your own bias and your own likelihood to see things favorably for the side that you advocate for, you are going to be prone to regular and repeated mistakes in your judgment. We have to remember that all of us are biased towards our own side and it takes effort and work to step back from that. It is a constant, relentless struggle to do that. Uh, it's And this is the thing. You can't ever stop doing it. There is no point that you get to. There's no book that you'll read. There's no degree that you will take. There's no course or problem you will solve that will ultimately settle this for you. It will be a struggle from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, if you if you care to engage in that struggle. And I would say that there is a great deal to profit from that struggle. And I think, you know, it's not far from, from what would be, you know, considered a kind of Buddhist practice. Um, and this came to mind, you know, obviously Thich Nhat Hanh just died, um, you know, probably next to the Dalai Lama, the most famous Buddhist in the world, uh, and did the most to, you know, champion what's called engaged um, Buddhism, which is, you know, not just uh, sitting in a monastery and, and meditating or chanting, but actually engaging in positive social action in the world, you know, new Martin Luther King. And, um, you know, it's a real loss. Um, you know, he had a stroke, and I think in, in 2014 or 2018 or something like that. Um, and, or no, 
14. It doesn't matter. You can look it up. So he, he had a stroke and not that long ago, he lost the power of speech, but was still a real force for good. I mean, you know, an unqualified, positive actor in the world. And a big part of Buddhist practice and staying engaged is to constantly, regularly interrogate our own assumptions, interrogate our own feelings and biases and presumptions about what we understand is going on around us. Beginner mind is another word for it. Uh, you don't get to a point where that stops being an effort, ever. Um, and I feel like our intellectual class in the United States has really stopped championing these kind of principles. For them, all of the questions have been settled. All of the answers are available. Uh, we know what to think, and we're going to tell you how to think it. Uh, and I think that's a real uh, problem. I think that's a mistake. And I think Butler does this a bit with Weiss. I also think Weiss does it herself, as Seth and I were, you know, kind of disagreeing, but not really. I think his point was fair when he brought up the things that she had missed in her uh, in her counter reporting to the uh, the incident in uh, Central Park. Um, and so, you know, I I think the the takeaway to all this is that there's real work to be done for all of us, top to bottom, in learning how to hear one another uh, more completely and compassionately. Uh, that's my note for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Hi, this is Seth Rodney, senior critic at Hyperallergic and also their opinions editor. And I'm talking to you for the American Age podcast note on Sunday, January 23rd, 2022. We just had a conversation uh, the past week about Judith Butler reviewing a book by Barry Weiss. Uh, the book is How to Fight, How to Fight Anti-Semitism. And the review by Judith Butler came out in September of 2019. And we went through the review pretty well, I think, in a conversation we had. But one of the things that came out of the conversation that really stuck in my craw was this argument from Travis that essentially what I was doing by describing the ways in which Barry Weiss I think, misconstrued, perhaps deliberately, or at least, oh no, to put a finer point on it, uh, mischaracterize the incident of uh, that occurred a couple of years ago with Michael Cooper in Central Park with a woman who's also, I think, named Cooper, a white woman who threatened to call the cops on him because he was offering her dog treats because she wouldn't leash her dog when he asked her to even though she was at the time and in that place legally obligated to do so and Travis and I had some back and forth about it and he said and when I said he's a bird watcher and he's just coming into the park to do that he said oh, you're framing it in a certain way like he said that uh, someone can be an asshole and be a bird watcher 
I didn't have a really good answer then. But then I read an article in The Guardian in the intervening week, an article titled, Why Can't We Agree on What's True Anymore? by William Davies, which was published on Thursday, September 19th in 2019. And, wow, actually, right around the same time that Judith Butler published her, uh, her uh, criticism of Barry Weiss's book, what Davies says in the, it's a rather long piece, but one of the things that he says is really important is that there's always kind of, some kind of framing going on. A question that needs to be asked, and which I wish, and I wish I had asked, and I think I will in the future, is not whether there's some kind of framing, but whether the framing is reasonable, whether the framing actually makes sense, given the knowledge that we have of said incident or event. And I think in my case, it was reasonable, absolutely reasonable to say that this man who's doing this relatively benign thing would, under certain circumstances, offer a, dog's, uh, a dog off its leash treats in order to get the owner to do what they're supposed to do in the first place. I think it's reasonable to do so, and I don't think it's, it's, it's all reasonable for a woman who has that kind of encounter with uh, Michael Cooper to then seek to call the police on him to potentially get him hurt or killed. We're not asking that question enough, whether something is reasonable, whether this particular take or this particular viewpoint is reasonable. And I think we do need to start doing that. I need to start doing that. I'm going to take it on as my personal uh, responsibility. I feel like Part of what's been happening in the podcast of late is that we've been sort of drawing lines, boundaries, uh, hard boundaries around issues of uh, the freedom of speech and uh, bodily autonomy and the length and reach, the length of the and reach of the state's power. With regard to that individual autonomy, and I think that the pandemic has exacerbated a lot of, oh no, not, not exacerbated, I think has brought to the surface a lot of tensions that I didn't even know were lingering in and through the different ways Travis, Stephen, and I think about our place in the social matrix. I need to ask that question for my self, actually, reading the news from now on, I need to ask whether the framing is happening that I'm grokking, whether that's reasonable, or whether someone has a more nefarious or one-sided, unfair um, perspective. And that need, and I need to, I need 
I think, to call that out. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Stephen G. Fullwood, and here is my coda to last week's episode on Judith Butler's review of Barry Weiss's 2019 book, How to Fight Antisemitism. Last week's conversation left me with some questions about how to best be supportive of another cultural group's struggles with any form of oppression. Racism, sexism, homophobia, uh, antisemitism, ageism, xenophobia, and the list goes on. On the face of it, these shared oppressions could and should bring us closer together as people. And I've been privileged to witness coalition building of this kind most of my adult life, primarily through literature and the arts, which is really exciting. Often, this kind of coalition building, however, is rarely seen in mainstream media. And maybe it's because it really doesn't sell papers or now get the clicks. To show people together working towards liberation that's broad-based, thoughtful, engaging, and progressive that eschews stereotypes, it flies in the face of tyranny, fascism, and nationalism in the worst sense of the word. We seem to thrive on or have been fed a steady diet of animosity towards other cultural and affinity groups that should always make us do a double take and listen and read closer, or at the very least, not take a story to be the absolute irrefutable truth. What I want to be clear about in this coda is that I think it's a lifelong journey learning how to identify oppression in yourself and your cultural group, as well as a lifelong journey to understand and to be an ally for someone outside of your culture or affinity group. And again, we need to be ever vigilant about stories that deny us our humanity. What I took from Butler's book review is that Weiss missed an opportunity to both describe anti-Semitism and to account for the recent charge that for some, critiquing Israel's policies automatically are anti-Semitic. Engaging in exploring the more complicated complexities around being both Jewish and critical of the state of Israel was also absent. After hearing Travis speak about this critique of Israel by some Jewish people being relatively common, citing his wife's experience as a student at Columbia, I thought about Weiss's responsibilities and what they were with this particular book. If for someone like me, not Jewish, wanted to know more about anti-Semitism, then Butler claims that this is not the book to read. Still, something about her review makes me want to read the book, if only to give my own take and to have a more solid observation. I really enjoy book reviews. The best ones aren't a this is a good or bad take, but here's what the book tells us and what to expect as a reader. I used to, I wrote dozens of book reviews in my years as a freelancer. It was both exhilarating and exhausting. It wasn't, I have to admit, I wasn't always as kind or even fair in my assessments. And it took me years to learn how to write a beautiful, useful book review. And I think Butler has done that. She holds Weiss accountable, but not in any kind of nasty way, which for me would have impacted the review adversely. The one thing I really liked about Butler's review is that it mentions Judaism's core ethics, a belief in open tent and the welcoming of a stranger. That excites me and it feels right. I would like to see more about how these and similar tenets operate in practice, and not just in the Jewish community, but everywhere. Mostly I take away these ideas and thoughts. We need to be educated about each other's past. Excuse me, let me restate, restate this. We need to be educated about each other past stereotypes, and that means listening. We need to question and not only be told that our questions aren't permitted, but also be freely open to being questioned. We need to keep our minds open and with new information, change it. We need to be alive in this freedom work. It's always ongoing in this fight against tyranny, fascism, and nationalism, as well as 
and I think it's the most ill of it all, ignorance. Lastly, if we really love something, we want to hold it accountable. And we want to let others outside of our community critique it as well. 